0: The title of this morning's message comes obviously right from the text that is before us The Peace of Christ. Peace, what a word. Very simple word, isn't it? Who does not want to experience peace or to hear such a term? Tried to think about that myself. Maybe, just maybe, a terrorist? A hardcore criminal, or a third area that I thought of maybe was uh, a sadistic person. And yet, I would venture to say that even they, that is a terrorist or a hardcore criminal or a sadistic person, even they would want peace at least for themselves, if not for others. So I think it's safe to say, when we talk about peace, or we come to the word peace, it is something that at least most everybody, most everybody is interested in. And it is such an important topic that we come to the word here, and we see the word peace. You know, where do we start with something like this? Well, I think our text is a good starting point for us this morning. And indeed, will give us a lot of help in understanding, once we try to get into the depths of the passage here before us, of what peace is. And I think we can start by asking ourselves a question in relevance to our text before us, is all peace the same? And that is going to be an obvious question with an obvious answer to all of us, but our text certainly answers that, does it not? Because right away in verse 27, there is a distinction that is made. Because Jesus Christ himself said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, okay. But then he says this, Not as the world gives do I give to you. And in and of itself, there is a certain distinction that's made immediately in our text of a peace that is a peace that Christ gives and a peace, if you will, that the world gives. We certainly have to make that distinction in our text. And I think it's obvious to us that there's even greater distinctions when we talk about the concept of peace. Let me give you an example. Peace means different things to different people. Right here in this room, in the world that we live in. For example, for some it's an absence of war. And whether that be on an international basis, whether that be on a national basis, such as we've had civil war in this nation, or domestic, within a home. And the concept of peace can overlap or mean different things in just those situations. For some people, peace is simply a lack of quarreling. For others, it's an atmosphere of no noise. Every parent knows that one. All they want is peace and quiet, And to them, peace is shut up. And let me think. Let me be alone. For some, the concept of peace is anything without disappointment. I'm at peace as long as I don't get disappointed or to take it a little step further in that close realm, it would be peace to them is anything that does not have any trials in it. There's no, and by the way, I think you need to get out of the world to get away from that one, but as long as there's no trials, then there's peace, right? Sure. Some, it's a general greeting. Peace, peace be with you, and so forth. And that's all it means to some people. It can be a symbol of a period of time or a movement. I know that because of my age. In the 70s, remember that? Peace. I can still see the president resigning, you know, victory or peace and so forth. You understand what I'm saying? It's simply to get into your mind and heart. When we talk about peace, people's minds go all over the place. In fact, it's actually a symbol, is it not, of death. What do we hear about? R.I.P., And in case you don't know what that means, rest in peace, right? So is that what we're talking about? We talk about peace? So when someone says peace, or someone says peace be with you, or you hear the concept of peace, what comes into your mind? We have to make distinctions. And by the way, the Word of God is no different from that, and I think that's important to us in laying the foundation. The Scriptures itself uses the word peace in a variety of ways, just like I have talked to you, that we use peace. For example, in First Timothy and chapter two and verse two, and you whether you turn to these or not, I'm not going to turn to them, I'll give them to you. You can mark them down if you so choose to turn, that's fine. But in First Timothy chapter two, we are told to pray for our nation's leaders. How well are you doing, by the way, on that? We do a good job of complaining about them. How often do we get on our knees and pray for them? It's a challenge to me. But why are we told to pray for them? That we might live a peaceable and quiet life. If you want to live in peace, you ought to be praying for your leaders. We're commanded to do that, so that's on an international scale. Throughout our New Testament, and uh, particularly in the beginning of the chapters, Peace is used as a greeting. Paul commonly used that as he would write in Rome, in Romans chapter 1, as he wrote in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the other epistles. He would often greet them by saying, Peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was referring to the peace of Christ. And it was simply, in his case, a greeting. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 19, we are told as believers that we are to pursue those things that make for peace among ourselves. We are told that we are to pursue that. That is to be something that we work diligently after we go after. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, a very interesting passage, the gospel itself, the message of Jesus Christ and salvation, is called the gospel, or the good news, Of peace. So it's used in a different realm in that particular text. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 33, we find that the word peace is used as a title for God. God is called the God of peace. Be with you, as he closes that epistle, which probably might remind some of you of an Old Testament passage, because Isaiah chapter 9, what is the Messiah called? The Prince of Peace. So it is used in a title in that capacity. And let me just give you one more, and these are only samples, but in Romans chapter 12, as I began to study this, I began to see that the Scriptures, by the way, and this is a good lesson, if, in case, by the way, I've lost you already, or your mind's drifted away, a good lesson of why be careful with the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures do use the word peace in all kinds of capacities, always dealing with the fact that we need to know what the context is, or we can misinterpret even a passage. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, some of you are familiar with this. It says, as much as depends upon you as an individual, we are to live at peace with who? All men. As much as lies in us, our responsibility, by the way, as believers, is to live peaceably with all men. And so while we use it in different capacities, it means different things to different people. That is also true in the scriptures. But what does our text mean when it talks about, without question, it's talking about a peace of Christ, because uh, it's very clear that he says, peace I leave with you, my peace. And Jesus Christ is talking, and I'll expand on that. What does that mean in our text? How can we have it? And is this really true peace that we're talking about in this situation? Well, in order to really understand peace and what we want to get out of the text or what we believe is in the text, let's first look at the scriptural words for peace that I use, and I think that'll begin to help us when we understand. I think it'll give us the depth to what's really here in John chapter 14. The Hebrew word people are familiar with. Uh, the Hebrew word is actually shlam. We know it is. Uh, shalom, and and so forth. And the Greek word in the New Testament is airene. It's one of the early vocabulary words that's used as a student of Greek in the New Testament. Now, that doesn't mean too much to us. But in general, those words, first of all, are a greeting. And by the way, that is very appropriate to our text, in case you didn't catch it. Because it would have been very appropriate for the Lord, in the circumstance, telling them that he is going away from them to simply leave them with shalom. And if you notice at the end of verse 31, we're not there yet, he says, let us go from here. And basically just to greet them with that, or the Greek equivalent in the New Testament, and basically say to them, okay, peace be to you, and let's go our way. And just leave it as a greeting. But I think there's a lot more depth to that. But it was, with both of those terms, used as a greeting. The meaning of the word itself, or, or, you know, to get that, we say hello, goodbye, have a good day, uh, see you later, that type of thing. And that's just kind of a greeting. Well, that's how these terms would be used. The meaning behind it was simply an absence of strife, in in a very general sense, or it would mean good health, it would mean security, tranquility, terms that we like, to have success or to have comfort. And when someone wished that to somebody, it was considered a blessing, just as they would leave uh, or see somebody. If somebody would withhold from saying shalom, uh, that type of thing, it was considered the denial or withholder was a curse on the person. And that's in a general way. And oftentimes we use peace, and I wanted to go back to that for a second because that's kind of how we throw the word peace around, just in a general sense. But when you dig into the word peace, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, its meaning is a lot deeper and has a lot more significance when we see that Christ is going to contrast that with the world. Because the real expression of the depth of the word peace, both in the Old Testament and New, is this. It means to finish. It means to complete. It means to fulfill. It means, listen, to stand sound. Now that might not mean too much to you at first. But it is a state. The idea behind this word really is the word meant it was a state of wholeness. A state of completeness. It is something, listen, that maintains its constitution. That's what's behind this word, if it's not just used in the greeting sense. It was a word that meant to maintain your constitution, to stand complete, to stand whole. It meant to complete a vow. It meant to complete a contract in spite of everything that might happen. For example... Let me just try to illustrate it. With this building, we had a contract on the building, and at one stage, where the, most of you probably don't know this, but speaking of the snow and everything else, at one time, all the sprinkler heads on that side of the church let go, and we had a flood in this thing. And But the bottom line is, in spite of all of those things, the contractor kept going through until the contract was completed. And he finished it. He completed it. No matter what came along, he stood true To what was there. That's what is really behind this word, even Erene, in the New Testament. It is more than just a greeting, though it can be used that way. It really means a state of completion, a state of wholeness, a state of maintaining one's constitution. And that's important because when we do a comparison to the world, listen, the world cannot offer that. It can offer the absence of strife, yes. It can offer the absence of strife as far as a world war. But listen, what the world can offer is always on a temporary basis based upon the circumstances that exist. The world can offer peace based upon the circumstances at the time, many of you know, this has already been referenced to by Pastor Chris, I think it was, that Egypt, and so forth. And you and I, That even if you're not reading the papers, if you're listening to the radio or looking at the internet, you're well aware that there was all kind of controversy. There was not peace in that country. And all of a sudden, when a resignation took place because of the circumstances, at least on a temporary basis, there is somewhat some peace there. That is what the world can offer. They can offer absence of strife. But God or Christ is able to offer, and here's where that word comes in. Only God, only Christ as the source can offer the type of peace that is a sound, a complete, a continuous, a fulfilling peace. Only God can offer that. The world cannot offer you that. God can offer you that which is sound, that which is whole, that which completes you, that which is able to hold your constitution together, if you will. Listen, regardless of the circumstances, the world can't do that. God is able to offer a peace, a soundness, a completeness, For you and for me, regardless of what might come our way. Regardless. So when we talk about this, what we're saying here, first of all, is that the world can't give you certain things. What can it not give you? Listen to me. The world cannot give you peace with God. It cannot give you that. It can give you peace from a war. It can give you peace from noise. It can give you a greeting of peace. But the world cannot give you peace with God in your soul. The world cannot give you peace in the midst of trials in the inner man. In fact, it doesn't even understand it. It doesn't even understand peace with God. And the third thing that the the world cannot give you is it cannot give you peace for the future. If you look at this world and you look at the history of the world and you know what's going on right now and you even look to the future, you might have settled peace at any given moment. But we're not sure about the future from the world's perspective. And the world cannot give you soundness, the world cannot give you a completeness, a settled tranquility of a wholeness of the man regarding the future. Many of you have experienced that even with your job. You see situations where people think they are sound in their job and all of a sudden they walk in and the job is terminated and they're in shock. Where did that come from? However, God my friend, is able to provide all of that. God is able to provide peace with God, peace in the midst of trials, and peace for the future, for the inner man, for the soul, for the heart, if you will, for the real you, the real me. Only God is the source of that type of peace. Only God can offer that which really gives soundness to us, which really gives wholeness to us, which really completes us. Well, how does it come? If it's true and the world doesn't understand it, then it comes from God. And by the way, notice that that's what verse 27 is saying. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. He is the source of it, not as the world gives. My friend, if you're searching for peace with God, if you're searching for peace with the future, if you're searching for peace in the inner soul of your individual because of things that you know that nobody else knows and things that are going on, you won't find it in the world. You will only find it in God. It happens, in the, if you'll allow me this, I say that it happens really in two stages. It comes in two stages. One is that it comes... First of all, with peace with God. And then second of all, the peace of God or the peace of Christ. So let's talk about these two things for a moment. First of all, the peace with God. What is that? Peace with God is knowing assuredly, completely, wholly that you are right with Him. And by the way, Whether man knows it or not, he's searching for it. The problem is, remember what I've already said, he's looking to the world to provide it. It can't do it. It is knowing that you are complete, if you will. It's knowing that you are sound. It's knowing that you are fulfilled with God. That you're complete with Him. You're sound. You're in a right relationship with Him. It is the tranquility of an assured state that my soul is right with God. And as I already said, the world can't offer that to you. Neither can, listen, neither can religion. You can go church to church. You can do penance after penance. You can do this after that. You can try this and try that with any church church with any religious activity you want. And if you're honest with your own inner being, it doesn't seem to satisfy. You never know whether you're right with God. Did I go to church enough? Did I say enough prayers? Did I do enough, quote-unquote, good works, religiously? Won't happen. And further, you and I cannot give ourselves this peace with God. It can't happen. We just can't do it. We can't give it. Well, then where does it come? The peace with God, knowing that our soul is right with Him, knowing that our inner person is complete, knowing that our inner person is whole with God and acceptable to God can only come through Jesus Christ. Exclusively. Come with me to Romans chapter 5. Very important when we talk about the subject of peace. I personally believe that while we talk world peace, some of those illustrations that I gave you with quietness and so forth, that all men in the inner heart really want this peace, that I know God and God knows me. But they're searching in the world and Jesus Christ in our context says, I don't give you that type of peace. You can get peace from war and tranquility in a moment from noise, but that's not what I'm giving you. Now, the peace with God only comes through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Look at what it says. Therefore, having watched this, been justified by faith, being declared righteous, being put into a right relationship. How? Through faith. Well, where does that come? Watch. We have what? Peace with who? God. Where does it come? What does it say? Through, through the instrumentality of, by means of, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We can de- be declared whole. We can be declared right with God only through Jesus Christ, not through ourselves, not through religion, not through the world, not through effort. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Very important when we're talking about peace. Now watch this. He talks about Jesus Christ. We have talked about the deity of Jesus Christ. Look at and keep that in mind. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 20. And through him to reconcile, to balance out, to bring us in a right relationship... All things to himself, having been made, watch, peace. Having himself, uh, excuse me, let me repeat that again. All things to himself, having made peace, how? Through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The reconciliation to God, the only thing that gives me wholeness with God, the only thing that gives me soundness with God, the only thing that puts me at peace with God is not me. It is the blood of Jesus Christ and only the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the sacrifice of His Son. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. For He Himself, That is Jesus Christ, watch this, is our peace, who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing where in his flesh the enmity, that which was against us, which is the law of commandments. We cannot keep the Ten Commandments. We can't do that. We have all sinned. We have all come short of the glory of God, contained in what ordinances, trying to do what's right, so that in himself, that is Jesus Christ, he might, not us, he's the source, make the two into one new man, watch this, thus establishing what? Peace. Where does that peace with God come? It comes through Jesus Christ, who himself is our peace, he said. That's what it says. Verse 16, "...and might reconcile them both," In one body to God through the cross. By it having put to death. uh, By being put to death. uh, The enmity. That is that existed between God and ourselves. And the gospel if you will my friend. Turn with me to just Ephesians. One more passage. Chapter 6. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. This is why. The gospel is. The gospel of peace. In. Ephesians chapter 6, watch verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of what? The gospel of what? Peace. It's the good news. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came into the world. We are all sinners. We have come short of the glory of God. And that does not give us peace in our soul. When we do something wrong, listen. Even when a quote unquote atheist does something that's wrong, he knows it. He might not care about it, but in his inner being, because he's got a conscience, he knows that something's wrong. What is it? You are not right with Almighty God. You are no longer at peace with Him because you violated. And who is able to reconcile that for us? The world? no religion no me no you no only the blood of jesus christ and the good news is that god loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him that is faith that we talked about earlier so the only place my friend everybody in this room that you will ever have peace with god comes through jesus christ and there is no other source The world will never give you that, ever. Every true believer has peace with God. What about this peace of God, or the peace of Christ, the second aspect? This is a peace, listen, in spite of circumstances. This isn't a peace as far as relationship with God, That comes through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That comes through trusting in Him, and that is what we call salvation. But the peace of God, the peace of Christ, is in spite of circumstances. It is a peace that lives, listen, above the circumstances of life. That's what we really want. That's what Christ is able to offer. It's a peace that's in the midst of trials. In this audience, I would venture to say that every single one of us are facing some type of trial, some type of circumstances and difficulties in life. This type of peace, this peace of Christ, is something, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, that is not able to be understood by the world. Philippians chapter 4, let's turn there. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, or I'm going to say the peace of Christ as well. Watch. Which surpasses how much comprehension? All. What does it do? It guards your heart. It makes you sound. That's why I went back to the root of the word. It makes you whole. Where? And your mind's. In Christ Jesus. This peace of God makes our heart and our minds solid. It makes it complete. It makes us whole. And that can only come from God. Now, listen, I, this is important. This does not mean when we're talking about this peace with, excuse me, of Christ, or the peace of God, I think, I think this is vital. It doesn't mean that we are without feeling. So many Christians get that wrong. It doesn't mean if I have the peace of Christ that I don't have feeling, that I don't have sorrow, that I don't have emotional strain, or even, listen, uncertainty to the outcome of a certain situation. If I have the peace of Christ, that doesn't mean I don't cry if I have the peace of Christ, it doesn't mean that I'm not hurting. I can have the peace of Christ and still not know what the outcome of a given circumstance is going to be. We think that if I have to have the peace of Christ, I can't cry. If I've got the peace of Christ, I can't be hurting. If, I can't have, if I've got the peace of Christ, then I don't have trials. I don't have any feelings. Or if I have the peace of Christ, then I know what the outcome is going to be of this particular circumstance. That's not true at all. Doesn't it tell us in the midst of the rapture passage? He says, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to sorrow, listen, as others who have no hope. He didn't say, I don't want you to sorrow, but I don't want you to sorrow like the world sorrows. Christ himself faced sorrow. Christ himself cried. Christ himself had feelings. But he had the peace of God. He had the peace of Christ. It's the type of peace, to try to illustrate it, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in the Old Testament. What do you mean? Remember what they said to the king? They didn't know the outcome. What they said was, whether we're going to live or whether we're going to die, I don't know. But I tell you something, God said, don't bow down to the statue, I'm not bowing down, and live or die God's in control. And they went into the fire. Thomas, we often in the New Testament, criticize him. I want you to know that it was Thomas that turned around and said, let us go die with him. Doubting Thomas. That's the peace of God. It's the Apostle Paul who was told that you are going to go in from city to city. And I'm telling you, not and I mean just mean it's the right way, but the, the trip to go see some of the places he's been, amazing. But to see that he was going there and you are going from prison to prison to trial to trial, and Paul says, I don't care. I don't know what the outcome is. Am I gonna live, am I gonna die? I don't know. But I know this. It's what God wants and I can trust it. What am I trying to say to you? It is a calmness, it is a completeness. It is a complete security. It is a soundness within our being that in the midst of the difficulty says, God is still in control. That's what it is. Who in the world wants to walk into the doctor and hear a doctor say to you, you are terminally ill. Praise the Lord. I don't know many people that walk into the doctor's office now. Of course you're going to feel sorrow. Of course you're going to feel hurt. Who wants news like that? But who is able to have soundness of a person to know and to cry and to weep and to have a loved one die and to cry and to weep but to have a soundness in their person that says, I know God's still good. I heard a testimony one time. I've heard it a couple of times years ago. Some of you may have heard this story. It's a true story. I'll give it to you very quickly, but, but of a family that was missionaries, and they were ministering, and basically uh, after ministering in a very difficult area, it was actually in Utah, what happened is they were ministering um, as a family and so forth. The kids were growing up, so they wanted to take them away to Bible school, and they had two daughters and a son, and, and they went to register at a Bible school and when they went to register, everybody was excited. They were taking this break from the mission field. They took actually two exchange students with them who didn't know Christ. And they went to uh, register. They of the girls into school. They registered the girl into school. And uh, what happened was this. They were all excited. They just left the registration. The whole family was in the car. They drove not too far from the campus they had just registered on. And as soon as they hit the highway, a truck came by and hit the car killed both of the girls instantaneously. The husband and wife survived, and the two, the the son ended up surviving. He got very badly injured. And the two exchange students survived. When that family was spoken to, they said this. They said, first of all, we thought we were living a dream. It was something like this. I don't remember the whole entire story, but I know this was, part of it was definitely part of it. And then they said this. Isn't God good? What in the world? How in the world can somebody be at that peace when their two daughters were just splattered all over the highway? Literally. How could they say that? Well, that wasn't all that the person said. The person said, isn't God good? He chose to take my daughters who knew the Lord and they're in glory. And he spared the two that didn't know the Lord because they would have been in hell. And those missionaries went back to the mission field and had the biggest success in their ministry from that day forward. How did they do that? They had peace with God. They had soundness in their character. They knew who was in control. That's how. That is what Jesus Christ did, and this is important to our text, 1 Peter chapter 2. Go there quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's a true story, by the way, I just gave you. 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 21. If we're going to understand this, we have to take a look at this passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, here it is. Who committed no sin, that is Jesus Christ, nor was deceit found in his mouth, and while he was reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. How is that possible? Here it is. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That is how. He had the peace of God in his heart. He had the peace of knowing that his father was still in control in spite of everything that he was facing. That's why he could go to Gethsemane and he could cry. And he could say, Father, I'd love to have this removed if it's possible, but it's not your will. Nevertheless, your will be done. That is a soundness in the character. That's a completeness in the person that the world can't offer. Now, what is it that Christ offered? What is the peace that Christ gives, that second point of the outline? Go back to John chapter 14. All of that background to see what he's talking about. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace. It's the peace of God. The disciples already knew what it was like to have a relationship with Christ. They knew what it was to have peace with God. And I told you already, that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, your soul is settled on that. I'm right with God, I'm sound with God Not because of what I've done, it's because of what Christ has done. And my friend, if you're here this morning and don't know Christ as your Savior, I guarantee you don't have that peace in your heart. But you can have it, but you can only have it through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. Only through faith in Him. Knowing that when you go to bed at night, if you die, how many people have said that? Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. They don't even know what they're saying. Basically, they're saying, if I die, please keep my soul. The only way the Lord's going to keep your soul for all eternity to be with him is if you can put your head on the pillow and know that if I go tonight, I'm in the very presence of God. And you can only have that assurance if you trusted in Jesus Christ. These disciples had it. It would have done no good for God, for Jesus Christ to say, that's the type of peace I'm leaving with you. I already got it. But he's saying, I'm leaving with you my peace, the peace that's able to be substantial to sustain itself, excuse me, and to be whole in the midst of all that you are going to face as my disciples. That's the peace I'm leaving with you. They needed peace. They needed strength. They needed soundness. They needed wholeness of their character in the midst of the circumstances they would be facing. And that's the peace that Christ has. Not like the world. This one does not be shaken by trouble. It's not afraid of the circumstances. It doesn't like them, maybe. It might weep about them, but it's not afraid of them. Not afraid of them. To put it right in the context, what he was saying to them, the peace I leave with you. Remember, he told them he was leaving. My peace I give you, not as the world gives you do I give you. Think about what Christ was facing. He would have to face, very shortly, a betrayal. That's the peace of Christ. He could face the betrayal of Judas. He could face the desertion of all those that he's talking to. That's the real circumstances of life. And still have peace that his father was in control and he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. He could face the criticism of the religious leaders and the mockery. Oh, you really think you're the Messiah? Get down off the cross. He could face that. That's the peace of Christ. That's the peace of God. He could face physical abuse where he would be scourged and he would be hit, none of which he enjoyed. He could face that. Why? Because he had that peace in his heart. He could face the crucifixion. He could face the cross. He could do that. Why? Well, because he was Christ, yes, but he could face that because that's the peace that he's talking about, and he says, that's the peace I give to you. Not that circumstances are going to go away. Not that you won't cry. Not that you won't know how the outcome might be of a situation. You might die in that situation. But I'm going to give you a peace that the world can't give you because you will know that I'm in control. You will be able to turn and rest soundly, completely, wholly in the fact that you are right with me And I am in control. This is the peace that still storms. This is the peace that casts out demons. And that's the peace that Christ was talking about. We ought to let our hearts. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Be ruled by this. To be ruled by it. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. Watch. Let the peace of Christ... That's what we're talking about in John. Not like the world. Not just his greeting, peace, see you later, brother, you know, and so forth. No, 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 no. Christ was leaving his disciples, and he expects us to live in this type of peace that has a peace of God in his heart. Watch this. Let the peace of Christ rule. That's what it says. Let it rule. Let it be the one that's sitting as the judge of your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. And don't forget verse 16, because this is how you're going to have the peace, folks. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How are you going to be able to do that? By letting God's word into your life. Do you see why this ministry has an emphasis on teaching the word of God? It is the Word of God in our hearts that will rule. It is the Word of God in our hearts, not for some just intelligence or some educational exercise. It's so that when you and I are facing the circumstances that come into our life, we are able to let that peace of Christ rule in our hearts because we believe what it says. I don't just quote Proverbs 3. I'm able to say, in all my ways acknowledge Him. He'll direct my paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Christ is going to complete in you what he began. And I can count on it. And I can hold to it. That's how Jeremiah could survive. And in case anybody says, well, that was Old Testament. Yes, he had the peace of God, and he could survive in the pits, in the mire, in the mockery, in the stocks, because he was right with God. It's the peace that Stephen had so that he could turn around those who were just about to stone him. And he felt the pain. And he knew his life was about to come to end. And before he died, could turn around and say, Forgive them. Forgive them. Can you do that? Can I do that? Yes, we can. With the peace of God ruling our hearts. It's the peace that Joseph had in the Old Testament, that David had, the disciples had, Epaphroditus had. One writer said this. And I thought it was such a great summary. Listen carefully. It's not my words. God has forgiven our past. Provided for the present. And he's guaranteed the future. What do I Want that again? God has forgiven the past. He's provided for the present, And he's guaranteed the future. What do I got to fear? That's not me. I'm quoting a writer that I read. Boy, that was profound when I read it. That's the peace of Christ. That's a peace that God wants for your life and mine. What will be the effects? I have to finish this. Allow me just about five minutes here because I have to address that. I'm sure you're interested in that last section. But let me, let me say this. What are the results? Let me give it to you this quick. Verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. What's the result of having the peace of Christ, my peace I live with you? Rejoicing. Oh, you're sorry because I'm going away. That's the the context. But you ought to be rejoicing. Why? Because we're looking with soundness, with wholeness. His disciples should have been looking at. He's going to a greater place. He's going to be with the Father. That's where he's going. And that's what Christ is saying. If you really understood what I'm talking about, and it's not the peace of the world, but the peace that only can come from me, and I'm giving you that, you'd be rejoicing and saying, Wow, I wish I could go there right now. And that's the reaction, if you will. It'll be joy. It'll be rejoicing. When we have the peace of Christ, we might be crying our eyes out. But inside we're saying, God, how thankful I am that I know you and you are still in control. I have to address because it would be unfair to the context. This is the, I've asked your forbearance for a second. That's the peace that the world offers. What about this last expression? I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Some, in fact, many, especially the cults, go to this passage and say, See, Christ is not God. I hope you've learned enough in our study of the Word of God to realize context, 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 context. Is he denying deity? For the sake of time, I will just look at John for these next couple of minutes. He's not denying equality with God. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Dan? Do you think you forget what he's been teaching? Go back in John. Go to chapter 5. This is called Electric Bible right now. John chapter 5. Let's do this quick. I want you to see this. It's not my opinion. Watch what he's already said just in John. This passage is outside of John, but time's really escaped us here. Watch. In John chapter 5, verse 17. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Watch verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his Father, watch, making himself equal with God. In chapter 5, they knew very clearly he was doing that. Go with me to chapter 8 of John. Chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Go with me. Remember that? I am. I'm God. That's how Moses was sent forth. He's already stated that he's God. Go with me to chapter 10 of John, verse 30. You can't forget what we've learned. Can't be any clearer than this, right? I and my Father are what? One. I think that's pretty simple. Take that to a kindergartner and ask them what it means and you'll get a simple answer. God and the Father are one. Take it to an adult or a theologian and say, I don't know what it means. Isn't that interesting? Out of the mouth of babes. Go with me to chapter 14, which is where we are, and let's look at verse 9, which he just said. In verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet have you not known me, Jesus Christ, Philip? He who has seen me has seen who? The Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You want to see the Father? I'm the Father in the flesh. That's what he's saying. And my point is this, just in those few verses. All along, he's been teaching that he's God. He's the Word made flesh. I didn't even go back to chapter 1. And continuously been teaching that. So he can't be denying what he's been teaching. Jesus has also told us throughout John, let me give you some passages, that his will is to do the will of the Father. John chapter 5, John chapter 6, John chapter 8, John chapter 12, and John chapter 14. All of that before this passage. What he said is, I came to do the will of my Father. So what does he mean then when he says, the Father is greater than I? He's talking about The work that he's doing, this is in reference not to his essence as deity, but his office or his work as the mediator. That's what it is. Because he's with them now, context, he's going to leave them to go with their father, his father which is a better place, and that's a greater place to be. And where the father was is greater. That's what he's saying when he's talking about in verse 28. uh, Yeah, 28, for the father is greater than I. They should be rejoicing because it would be better for him to be there. He's talking about his work as mediator. He's talking about his work in submission to the Father's will. He's talking about his work as a son. And if you want a passage that I didn't turn to, uh, just chew on this. In Philippians chapter 2, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, laid it aside, took on the form of a servant, and he went to the cross, even the death on the cross. Why? So that we can have life. But then where did he go? He returned to the right hand of the Father. He's not denying the deity that he's been preaching. He's talking in the context in relationship to his going away and they should be rejoicing in relationship to it. So what's the point? The whole point of the passage is this. Christ said to his disciples, yeah, I'm going away, but don't be frightened. You have peace With God, you know who he is. I've been talking to you about that. They've trusted in him. Fellow believer today, you have that peace of knowing you can lie your head down on the pillow and you know God. Person in this room that may not know Christ, you don't have that peace. You can't go to your bed and put your head down and be sure. Don't wait for tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow might bring. You may not be here tomorrow. Settle it today. The peace with God only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. It only comes by faith in Him. And fellow believer, just like the d- disciples, what Christ was leaving them was the peace that He had. All kinds of things went wrong from the world's perspective. All kinds of trials came into His life. But He committed Himself to the Father, knowing who was in control. That's what He left with His disciples. Most of them We're going to get martyred. Most of them would lose their life. Some of them shortly. He wasn't promising them that they wouldn't face that. They would all face persecution. He wasn't saying that they would avoid that. But his peace, the peace of Christ, the peace of God that is able to rise above circumstances, that is able to live and have sorrow in its heart, But peace, knowing God's in control, is what he told them they could have. And it's what you and I can have. But you won't have that even as a believer. And we're going to get into that in chapter 15. Unless you're abiding in Christ, unless you're walking in him, unless you're hiding God's word in your heart, unless you're yielding to the Spirit of God. When the tragedies come, you won't know what to do even as a believer. Because Christ isn't ruling. And we, as New Testament believers, are commanded to let Christ rule in our hearts. Let Him be the judge. Let Him be the master. Let Him be in control. Is Christ controlling your life? Maybe you're being overwhelmed by Egypt. Maybe you're being overwhelmed by the economy. Maybe you're being overwhelmed by all the trials on your job, the physical pain that you're suffering. In all of these things, you know what? You should feel the pain. I told you I talked to Tony Rossi this morning. He said, Pastor Dan, he said, I can't bear the pain anymore. That's why he was getting the prescription. But he says that nothing's broken. But he said, God's in control. You know what? Not realizing, Tony was giving me my message back. That I still have the peace of God ruling in my heart. We can have that. If you're a... Christian that's been away from the Lord for a long time don't let the day go by get back to where you should be let Christ rule in your heart you got the peace with God let Christ's peace rule in your heart that's what he wanted for his disciples that's what he gave them that's what he wants for us and if you don't know Christ don't leave this building I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward when I pray in a minute but right there in the pew settle things with God you're a sinner and the only one that can reconcile that sin is Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him right there in the pew. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll have eternal life and a peace that the world cannot give. Peace with God. Let's pray. Now, Father in God, I thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was so concerned, not only that we have salvation, but concerned because his disciples would be left but not as often as we've seen. They wouldn't be left without comfort because the Holy Spirit would be sent. We thank you that the Holy Spirit's been sent to every believer. And Father, we look to the world, we look for political, social situations, physical situations to give us peace and help us out. But Father, we know that the only peace that rises above the world, that is able to be at peace with you and rise above the circumstances is the peace that comes from you. You're the source of peace. Not only for salvation, but in the circumstances of life. You can give us that peace that is sound, that helps us to be whole in the midst of difficulties. And I pray that for every believer in this room that would be committed to yielding to the Spirit of God, to experiencing that daily in our life as we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. I pray, Father, for any that have not yet trusted in Christ. Give them that peace with God that the world can't give. Help them right there in that pew to admit they're a sinner, to ask Christ for salvation, to believe on him, his death, his burial, and his resurrection as a substitutionary sacrifice for their sin that satisfied a righteous and a holy God, that they might be saved right now, right here in our midst. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.